Get 0% interest for 48 months on any replacement project right now at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Our experts complete the installation with no hassle or mess, leaving only perfect results. Schedule your free consultation now at PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at The Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the WTMJ Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. All right, let us start out on, I guess, sort of a down note. Uh, Do you know, let me just back into this. There, There are some things that just honk me off. There's a lot of bad stuff that goes on and that's going on in the world nowadays, whether it's the war in Ukraine and whether it's spiraling out of control prices for, you know, things that we all need, whether it's food or gasoline. If if you're in southeastern Wisconsin, you, you've got a huge crime problem. You've got, you know, a reckless driving problem where if you cross the streets, I was just, I, I was with somebody yesterday who knew very well that the pastor from the Lutheran Church, who was killed a couple about a week or so ago after dropping his daughter off at school on like 10th and Wells. He's in the intersection driving a car and somebody driving like 70 miles an hour who'd run five stop signs, plows into him and kills him. There, there, there's a lot of bad stuff that's going on because you have irresponsible people doing irresponsible things. There's a lot of stuff to be worried about. And then then there's the stupid, aggravating stuff that that should not be happening at all, and yet it does. Mike was talking a little bit about this. This is the the breaking news story of the day. I, I don't know if you know what swatting is, but but swatting is it, it, they're, they're hoax calls to the police, alerting you, claiming that there there is an issue going on. You know, for example. It, it would happen, and you've seen it happen before, and they call it swatting because it, it brings out the SWAT team. You know, somebody that wants to, I don't know, um, embarrass my producer, Charlie, for example. So they, they call, and I apologize for using you this example, but you, you call the police and you say, okay, th- this, is, this is the residence of Charlie, and this is where he lives, and there's an active shooter situation. He, Charlie is holding, I, I'm in the house, he's holding me hostage. Right. And, and that, that's what the call is. And so, I mean, you're the cops. You get a call like this and you go, oh, my God, you know, we've got this situation. And so you respond with the SWAT team that that's where this comes from. And it's it's something that's gotten a little bit of popularity and in, in the weird sort of dark circles of the Internet. And, you know, you, you get mad at somebody or so what you do is you, you SWAT them. But it is it's, of course, incredibly disruptive. And because there, there you are, you're at home. It's a Friday night. You know, you're minding your own business. And all of a sudden your place is surrounded. There's helicopters and there's cops. And, you know, next thing you go, what, what's going on? Well, it, it's a swatting situation today. This morning, as if we don't have enough stuff, for want of a better word, going on in the world, there was an organized series of SWAT calls, swatting calls, which were made to the police or to various schools. Um, Various false active shooter calls were made to the schools. Okay, Park High School in Racine, 823 this morning. Racine Police Department received a call from someone who said he was a teacher at Park High School and that there is an active shooter in the school and that 15 students had been shot. The caller went on to describe the shooter and the weapon. Um, okay, so you get, and it's, it's fake. 
you know, but but of course the police, you know, what do you do? You got to call. There's 15 kids that have been shot. There's an active shooter. Police immediately are sent to Hot Park High School. The school is put on lockdown. Everybody and their brother responds. The building is cleared, and of course, it, it's all BS. I mean, <laughs> all BS. Bradford High School in Kenosha. Um, 20 minutes before this call, police were called to Bradford High School around 8 o'clock for reports of an active shooter. Full-scale police response to the school commenced. Can local Kenosha area agencies, state and federal law enforcement. Okay, so th- this is active shooter protocol is, is followed. They evacuate the school. And again, it's BS. No evidence of a shooting was located, you know, at, at all. Port Washington High School. Uh, earlier this morning, police were on the scene for reports of an active shooter at Port Washington High School. Again, it, it's it's false. Milwaukee police, 8.59 a.m., responded to Rufus King High School by around 18th and Olive. Same thing. Individual called claiming there was an active shooter at the school. MPD mobilizes like they don't have enough to do. They respond, no active shooter, no known threat. Franklin High School. Again, this morning, they get the same sort of thing. They get a call that there's an active um, shooter that's involved. School is placed on lockdown. Sweep of the building occurs. You know, no, no credible threat. Oak Creek High School, the Oak Creek Police Department received a call about a safety concern at the 1012 building at Oak Creek High School. Uh, the campus put on temporary hold. Um, this was a swatting incident, no threat, um, and that ended around 9 o'clock. So what you see is that essentially this organized effort at schools across Wisconsin within a period of about an hour to an hour and a half, here we're going to call in, we're going to report active shooter situations, and we are essentially going to paralyze the police and the schools because everybody's got to respond to this. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. Okay, maybe it's just the end of a long week, and I know it's only Thursday, but this is the kind of stuff which you just cannot tolerate. This is a big deal. Now, I don't know if there was one person that was doing this. I don't know if this was a group of people who were doing this because they thought it was going to be clever or fun or whatever, or they were going to get some sort of kicks out of this to see if they can essentially you know, paralyze law enforcement and have these huge responses. Ha, ha, ha. Look, you know, you had all these police that showed up at the school in Racine. Ha, ha, ha. We had all these police that showed up at the schools in Kenosha. And the police are just, of course, doing what they have to do. Our number is 855 616 That is the WTMJ talk and text line. This is the type of crime that I believe needs to be an absolute priority. And whether it's the FBI or, you know, whoever, whether it's the local, the State Department of Justice, the local, you know, authorities or whatever, this needs to be a priority because they need to identify who was doing this stuff and when they catch them, they need to prosecute them to the fullest extent of the law. If you are making one of these SWAT calls, you belong behind bars, period, for a long period of time. And don't talk to me about victimless crimes. Don't talk to me about white-collar crimes. Well, Jeff, they didn't have a gun. No, the disruption, the panic that this caused, this is a big deal and they need to make it a priority to find out who did this or you know what group did this or whatever and when they catch them 
do not pass go, do not collect $200, go to jail, go directly to jail. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. And if you had kids or grandkids that were caught up in this this just chaos that has been occurring across southeastern Wisconsin today, I'd love to talk to you. But, I mean, I think this is a big deal. I think it needs to be a priority. I, I look, I, I have a good sense of humor. This is not funny stuff. This is not, you know, calling the, the tobacco store and saying, do you have Prince Albert in a can? Let him out. This is major league criminal activity, and it needs to be treated as such. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. And, and I gave you some of the schools. Apparently, it's been more widespread. Um, Green Bay East High School had one of these swatting calls, active shooter. You know, and of course, the, the police have to mobilize. There's, you know, you you get this. There's an active school shooting thing. You got to drop everything and get there in a big way. Rawson Elementary School in Milwaukee, Lakeview Technology Academy in Kenosha. So obviously what you had here is this organized effort. And I don't know if it's one person. My guess is it's a group of people that just decided, hey, it's going to be clever this is what we're going to do. Well, my response to this is, you know, this is domestic terrorism, and it, it, this is not a prank. This is not a crank call sort of situation. This is this is like being at, at the line at the airport and saying, hey, let's talk about hijacking or so-and-so has a gun, except this is magnified 20 times worse. That This needs to be a major investigative effort. They need to get the bottom of it. And I don't care if it's 14-year-old kids or 24-year-old people or, or whatever. Whoever is responsible for this needs to be treated as if they were a domestic terrorist. This cannot allow, be allowed to happen. Let's start with Lois in Sockville. Lois, you're first. Good afternoon. Get this off. Hi, Hurry. Hi, Lois. Lois. Hi. Hi there. What do you think? Hello? Yeah, you're on the air. Okay. I'm a grandparent. I had six kids to pick up or look located this morning. My grandkids, three at the high school, two got out. I'm sorry, four at the high school. Two got out of the uh, school one we weren't sure about, one got locked in the school. It was the most terrifying thing I've ever lived through. Then I went over to Lincoln School, sat in that parking lot for two and a half hours for that grandchild, and over at uh, middle school for the next two. I hope there's a sweet place in hell for somebody who did this and think this was a prank, because it was a terrifying day for everybody involved. So what, what, I mean, what, what happened? How did you first find out about this? From a grandchild asking me to pick him up, um, approximately three blocks away. I said, what are you there for? You're in high school. Yeah. Because we got a terror alert, and uh, and we got a terror alert. Um, there's a shooter call, and they weren't sure if it's a, a hoax or whatever. So the kids were scrambling. Some went, to the Lincoln, uh, some went to the library. Others went to a nursing home. Others went to some neighboring homes. And so I picked up one grandchild looking for three more and I couldn't find them all. And then I went to the Lincoln school to get that child. I couldn't get in and sat there for two and a half hours. Just picked up two more from the middle school. It was terrifying. We heard everything from what everybody else was hearing on Facebook or the local uh, voice, but really yeah. we don't know a whole lot. So I assume for, for, your, for your grandkids, school then canceled for the rest of the day, I assume? Uh, for the high school and for Lincoln School, it was a planned half day for Lincoln okay. School. 
middle school is still going on, but I came there to pick up two kids because it was a horrifying experience for them. And a lot of kids are going home just to right. get a yeah. deep breath and forget about what's happened. Yeah. No, right. thank, no thank, thanks. For, th- 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 I'm so glad you called, Lois, because th- this is a big deal. That, that's exactly right. You know, you've got these kids who are uh, appropriately terrorized because now, you know, there's a terror alert that's out there. Jeff, not only did it affect the schools, I'm getting several texts to this extent, but also local hospitals. My wife is a nurse. She received a text saying that they were mobilizing for mass school shootings. This is absolutely ridiculous. That's from Joey in North Prairie. I'm hearing from a number of people that there were, and I'll, I'll leave it to the reporters to check this out, but that a number of hospitals that they had surgeries that were scheduled today that were put on hold because when, when you get these these reports, there's a school shooting, there's an active shooter, you've got 15 people that are shot or whatever, I, I'm, they, this, the hospitals, their protocol is, okay, boom, we're going to stop with a lot of stuff that is scheduled and we are going to mobilize because we might be in a triage sort of situation. So that's a fair question to ask is whether there were people that were waiting for you know, surgeries that they had had scheduled for Lord knows how long that ended up getting put off because of this. I guess the point here is this is this is it's a big deal. This is not funny. This is an organized effort that was designed to disrupt schools. It did, in fact, disrupt schools. So it worked to that extent, but it cannot be allowed to happen again. And again, I don't care if it's 14-year-olds who are doing this or whether it's 44-year-olds who are doing this. This is not funny. This is not swatting. Ha, ha, ha. It's a, it's a joke. This is domestic terrorism. Let's talk to Dave in Illinois. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Could you imagine? Well, actually, you know, is this a felony? Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Could you imagine one of the cops dies on the way there or gets in an accident and kills a family? Could you? Now, this is way beyond a crank call. Oh, yeah. This is, I mean, yeah, then they would get charged, whoever. They will find out who did this. It's got to be a computer or something doing it, that they didn't track them already, whoever's doing all these calls. Well, you know, maybe they, I mean, th- thanks for, I don't know, maybe, maybe they, uh, hopefully they're they're actively on this. You know, at t- the point you just make, one of our texters comes in and says, Jeff, there's so many problems with this. There are plenty of cases, just to your point, Dave, where first responders get into accidents heading to 911 calls, injuring themselves and other drivers. Five years, you know, I, I put them in jail for five years. Now, a couple of people are saying, well, why do they respond to these swatting calls? Don't don't they don't they make you know, don't they, you know, do investigation before they re- report? Well, they have protocols that are here. And my understanding is in a couple of the cases where the, the police got the call, they call the school. The school says, well, we're, we're not aware of it, but the police still have to respond. You know, you, you call the school resource officer and they say, I, I, I don't know, I haven't heard this, but you can't just sit idly by and assume that there there's nothing going on. Unfortunately, you, you have to respond to this sort of situation. And uh, a number of people are texting me saying that there there's, there's a school in Manitowoc that got hit. Um, you know how? No matter what, Jeff, the person will be found and will be charged. Um, school districts and law enforcement need to drive home the point to students to curtail these future, quote-unquote, 
pranks, they need to put the fear of God in them a little bit. Um, Yeah, I I think, you know, that's it. Jeff, my friend and his wife have been swatted six times. He's been cuffed on his porch in his robe with guns pointed at him. It's untraceable and can be coming from anywhere in the world. Local police and FBI have been of no help. It's absolutely infuriating and terrifying. Well, yeah, that's that's the thing. It's like, oh, a, a I hate to use my producer Charlie as example, but yes, this is this is you know I'm Charlie's girlfriend. I'm so and so, and he's holding me and the kids hostage. You know, et cetera, et cetera. And the police respond in that fashion, and then next thing you know, you've got handcuffs that are being put on, and ha ha ha. You know, we had somebody that was arrested. You know, for this, um, Jeff, my 16 year old at Port High School said some kids were so upset they were throwing up. Some thought they heard a gunshot. It has been very, very frightening. Yeah. Jeff, this is why we need police in the schools. Well, I think it's a good justification for having police in the schools. I've been making that argument before. Kevin says, I'm with you, Jeff. It's domestic you know, it's domestic terrorism in the extreme. And this is from your progressive friend, Kevin, in Milwaukee here. These punks are domestic terrorists by every definition. That's I'm not even being dramatic with that. Jeff, this is really serious. The people doing this need to be locked up for 10 years, regardless if they are minors or not. Really severe penalties are the only thing that will slow or will stop this. I, I See, I just I, I agree with that because— you know, just imagine how traumatic this is. Jeff, I have a grandson at Grafton High School. I also work for a school district. Um, things like this make me sad for our society. These poor little kids and the SWAT team, everyone in a panic, thinking something terrible is going to happen. I agree with you. Full extent of prosecution, go directly to jail. Yeah, I, that's that's it. This is not a prank. Jeff, I think the word swatting should be redefined. When a person gets caught doing this foolishness, the SWAT team should lock the degenerate in a room and then uh, send a firm message to him. Well, that's it. Jeff, this is what this disrupts police from doing the work that really needs to be done and potentially causes innocent people to get hurt in the process, first responders responding to these false calls. Well, that <clears throat> again, that's that's the issue, and I'm glad our first caller, Lois, highlighted that. I mean, okay, you're, you're, you're the grandma. You get a call from, you know, one of your grandchildren saying, all right, we're, I need you to pick me up because I'm, I'm out of school right now. Well, why are you out of school? What's going on? Well, no, you know, we had a th- report that there was a mass shooting and the school is closed and they're, they've got people at nursing homes and they got people, you know, going to the YMCA and things like that. Can you imagine the disruption this causes to the school, to the police, to the emergency responders, to the kids, to the teachers, and to the families who have to then deal with this, all because this was somebody's idea of a prank. Prioritize this, investigate it. When you catch them, prosecute them to the fullest extent of the law. Now, I don't know. A couple people are saying, well, maybe they need to develop better protocols to determine, you know, when they respond to these things. And and, and I, I don't know. I mean, that's... I don't know how you necessarily do that because the flip side of it is if it is an active shooting situation that turns out to be real and you delay doing this and some people get killed, well, you know, you're you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. You know, maybe maybe it's fair to say do you need to develop some more protocols to determine this, but still I'm willing to bet that most parents out there would say that if there's a report of an active shooter, you want the police responding as quickly as possible. In any event, a number of area schools were plagued by this today. It is a hoax, but it's also a crime. <laughs> 
A number of people are texting in saying, well, if they catch whoever is responsible for this, I hope he gets prosecuted or she gets prosecuted outside of Milwaukee County, maybe someplace where they take it more seriously. Now, here's what needs to happen. This needs to go federal. This is this is a federal crime, and it's also a state crime, but, but put it in the federal courts, no parole, you know, mandatory sentences for some sort of stuff. That That's where it belongs. And, and again, I don't care if we're dealing with juveniles. That This is not funny. And some people are saying, well, maybe this is coming from overseas. Well, okay, maybe, I, I guess, and maybe it's going to be tough to track down. But we, we have to do better. I, it just, it seems to me you have to be able to get the bottom to the bottom of this. Let's chat for a minute. We're trying to figure out why that just happened. So one number of glitches. So the Daryl Brooks case, which is what I want to talk mm-hmm. about next, it's the, the prosecution is now arrested. Yes. So we're now at the stage where Daryl Brooks has the opportunity to give an opening statement, which is not supposed to be argumentative, but he give an opening statement and then present any evidence he might choose. Yes. And Judge Doro was very specific about what her expectations are for those opening statements. And, and actually, Jeff, I did want to ask you. Mm-hmm. Can a judge cut off your opening statements if it oh, does yeah. get argumentative or, or Oh yeah. Oh yeah, okay. that, that I mean and that's the that's the difference. They call them opening statements and in an opening statement you you get a little bit of latitude because you get to lay out now I was a prosecutor. So you get to lay out your theory. This is what we anticipate the evidence is going to show. You're going to hear from a witness named Mike Spaulding. Spaulding Mr. Spaulding was on the scene, saw this type of stuff, but you're not supposed to be allowed to argue this. And in some respects, it's kind of a fine line. And this is one of the reasons why when you have somebody who's not a trained and a trained attorney, you, you kind of cross over that. And I'm sure that they will, as the judge has done throughout this case, give wide latitude to, you know, to Mr. Brooks, as for, to, to Brooks as, as he makes his, his, his statement slash argument. But yeah, there, there's no question. She can cut him off if, if it if it just gets to the point that he's arguing the case. It will also be interesting to see if he's actually going to call witnesses and things of the like. He submitted 13, um, and one of them, we already kind of got a little bit of a sneak preview on Tuesday, I believe it was, when the gentleman from Texas was called because he needed that in that uh, translator. Right. So we got a little bit. It it was sort of meandering. Yeah. I, there wasn't a real, It. I don't even really know how to describe what it was. It, it was just, it just pointless sort of, Random non sequitur questions, right? And just because you you have people on a witness list doesn't mean that you're going to call them. I mean, you, you know, okay. I mean, I, and that happens all the time. My guess is the prosecution's witness list probably there there were a large number of witnesses that you didn't ultimately need to call because the way the trial develops, I mean, you're always making those decisions. It's like, okay, well, I thought I needed to call Mr. Spaulding to testify about this, but I had two or three other people who established the same thing. So why just re- repeat it in that regard? So. Um, I think it's entirely possible that the testimony portion of this could probably wrap up by well, today's Thursday, by tomorrow, and then maybe closing statements on uh, Monday or something, and then the, the case goes to the jury. It's going to take the jury at least a little bit of time because there, there's like 80-some verdicts that you have to fill mm-hmm. out, you know, so— um, and I presume you probably—nobody tells the jury how they do it, but my guess is you go through them one by one. Yeah. And uh, if so, okay. Um, I had a great question for you. Coughed, and then I just forgot it. Oh, do you ever remember seeing like like? I'm assuming not because you don't often have attorneys literally yelling at a judge. Have you ever 
seen anything like what is happening right now where the defendant is standing up being told if he could please sit down refuses to and then yells at a judge well i'm you know i'm trying to think in all the, the now i was a federal prosecutor i never with, with one exception I, I never had anybody that represented themselves mm-hmm. because that's that's just a you know that that's just here like like take me off in handcuffs that that's and i i never no i i've I, I've had jur- I've had defendants who stood up and yelled at witnesses. He's lying, whatever you know. Um, I've had that, but but no. And I, I've certainly seen attorneys who've you know gotten into it with the judge, but generally that's out of the the out. It's not in front of the jury. No, this is definitely it, it's a it's one for the books. And I in general, I think Judge Doro has done a very very good job with handling this. She doesn't seem to have done. Uh, anything that could possibly be brought up on an appeal to right. say, look, I was given an unfair opportunity. And and that's kind of the strategy, at least when we've been talking to people, right. that she's sort of taking in this. Right. You you want to, right, you don't want to do anything that's going to create what they call reversible error down the line. Now, in, in a situation like this, where it's clear that you have a defendant who is trying to provoke a, a judge or provoke a prosecutor, there's, I, mean, I think there's been remarkable restraint that's been, you know, demonstrated on, on all these different levels. Okay, I'm told our, our mechanical glitches are worked out. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I do want to I want to open up the phone lines because I, I do I do want to talk about your reaction to what you have heard about the Daryl Brooks case so far. Hey, Wisconsin, can you feel it? It is getting colder outside, which means it's the last week for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank. This week, we're featuring Kohler Services. You can visit their website at KohlerServicesWI.com to find out more. It's the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase on Wisconsin's radio station, 620 WTMJ. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ Talk and Text Line. The Daryl Brooks case, which is what we former prosecutors describe as a slow guilty plea, there, and, unless unless there's some juror who is completely and totally lost their mind, this is a this, this is an easy case. And you know, once they get it, I expect that you know there will be a, a verdict relatively quickly. It's going to take them a little bit of time to fill out all the different verdicts because there's like 84 charges or however many there are. But but this is effectively a, a slow guilty plea. There is no question about his his guilt in in this case, and and again, it, it's it's an easy one. Um, there's really no defense to what he did. It is an open and shut case, and and as I've said before, I think the judge and the prosecutor have done a very very good job, and they've showed all sorts of restraint in allowing. You know, Daryl Brooks, who in my opinion is a narcissist and a psychopath, to, you know, they've given him his head on a number of things. They've allowed him to, you know, ramble on. They've allowed him to talk back to judges in a way that if if you're if you're an attorney and you try to, to do some of this stuff, you're, you know, you're going to be in contempt of court and you're probably going to be ushered out of the court in handcuffs and you're going to be fined substantially. The, the judge, I think, has done a very, very good job of allowing Brooks to make his objections, the vast majority of which are what we would call frivolous, and that's a term of art that, that has a specific meaning. You know, he's carrying on about how he's a sovereign, and meaning he's not subject to laws of the United States, all that kind of silliness. And I think the prosecution as well has done a very good job of, of 
presenting its case in the face of a, a lot of these antics, and, and that's essentially you know what they are. So I, I want to start off this by saying I think they've done a very, very good job. At the same time, I, I think that a situation and what you saw Daryl Brooks do, which is essentially make, in many respects, a mockery of the judicial process— I mean, because look, look what we've got. You've got six people that are dead. You've got dozens and dozens of people who are injured, some very severely. You have hundreds and people who are traumatized by, you know, what they witnessed happened. And it's all because of Daryl Brooks. I understand he's alleged to have done it, but let's, you know, I'm not in a court of law right now. We're in reality. And the reality is he, he did this. He's caused all this pain. And now you have this trial where he's essentially tried to do everything he can to make a mockery of this. I, I think he's further traumatized, you know, the victims that are out there or the surviving family members of the victims. And because of the way the system is set up, that the judge and the prosecution have really had to bend over backwards to allow him to make a mockery of what is going on so that they, they don't have an issue that's on appeal. Now, on the one hand— it's a short-term thing. The trial is going to last two, three weeks or whatever. He's going to be convicted. He's going to be sent away to you know, the state prison for life, and presumably he will never be released. So on the one hand, that's, that's what's going to happen at the end. At the same time, you watch this and you say, do we need to change some things for when you have defendants— who, for example, choose that, that they, they want to represent themselves— should we allow that? I mean, seriously, should we allow the next Daryl Brooks to come on and, and make a mockery of this? And it's not just, is it difficult for the judge? It's not just, is this difficult for the prosecution? It's not just, is he trying to figure out a way to create you know, some sort of reversible error? But it actually, to me, it compounds the, the harm that he has caused to the various victims by allowing him to essentially be the ringmaster at this three-ring circus. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. You have a right to counsel. And I guess the way it's always been interpreted is that means that you have a right to you know, represent yourself as well. But I wonder if the Daryl Brooks case is a classic example of why maybe we need to rethink that. And if you have somebody who is clearly not going to conform to the requirements of the rules, you know, maybe they should lose the right to represent themselves. Our number, 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. And, and by the way, I, I, again, I don't take any of my remarks here as a criticism of, of the judge, Judge Doro in Waukesha, I, who I think has kind of stamped herself as a rising star for the way that she's, she's handled this, or the prosecution that I think has shown amazing restraint. I'm just, at some point in time, do I think people should be able to represent themselves? Okay, yes. But if they demonstrate by their behavior in the courtroom that they are not able to conform to the rules, I think at that point in time, you should be able to say, no, you, you forfeited your right to represent yourself. Here's the deal. I'm appointing standby counsel or whatever, because you're clearly not able to do this. And I guess I just worry that you have other people <clears throat> like the Daryl Brookses of the world who decide that, okay, 
This is, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to prison for the rest of my life. I want my 15 minutes of fame. I want to be on court TV. I want to try to convince Netflix to write something about me. And the way I can do this is by acting out and my antics in the courtroom. Is, is that really the system that we want? Amy in Milwaukee. Amy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi there. Hi. Um, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, yeah, when I called in, I, it, it's just it's a shame that this man can stand up in court and scream at a judge. I mean, none of us, none of the prosecutors, the people who would be the defense attorneys would never be able to get away with that. No. He's just trying to hold everything up. And what I was just saying before I got on the phone was, like, every single person who was at to go up there and testify that's, you know, been a witness to this or their loved one was hurt or killed, he's just re-victimizing them. Yeah. Yes. Over and over and over again. Right. And can you imagine and what it's said, like if you're, if you're the family member of, of one of the people he killed yeah. or you're one of the people who's been severely injured because of what he did and, and you have to, to follow these reports and, and watch this guy's antics on a daily basis. It, it is. It's like victimize, It's like the system that is victimizing the victim. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking, and it's just kind of one of those things. You, you can't help but watch this, but it's like you don't want to because you're right. I didn't even think about this Netflix crap. They're just, you know, he's, just, he's looking for 15 minutes of fame. And you know what? Now he's going to have to, you know, defend himself now and all the cards are going to crumble because he doesn't know how to defend himself right and now, now, so. thanks for calling me now in fairness this you could have the best defense attorney in the world at the top of their game and it's not going to change anything because he's guilty as hell that that's just the, the reality of that but but that fact I guess I just have too much respect for the legal system when you see some of these defendants who stand up and want to make a mockery of it. Now, I'm—and again, I I appreciate what the judge is doing. The judge is bending over backwards to make sure she doesn't create an issue, which means that everybody has to go back and and do this again. And I I think they've done a very, very good job of this. But at some point in time, I'm worried about the integrity of the system moving forward. And and maybe you need to take a tough look at this and say, okay, here's the deal. If you have somebody— who says they want to represent themselves, but then because of their behavior in the courtroom demonstrates clearly that they cannot conform themselves to the the requirements that you would expect from attorneys or whatever, at that point in time, you forfeit that right to do it. It shouldn't be absolute at at all. Let's talk to—let's see, we've got Paul on the North Shore. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Paul. Uh, Paul. Hi, Paul. Paul. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking the call. Sure. Why would somebody want to represent themselves, or what is the advantage? I mean, I know they have a right to, and and as you always say, just because you have a right to do something doesn't make it the right thing to do. But I cannot, for the life of me, think of any advantage to this. No. You representing yourself, sure. But me, who's not an attorney, I would never think of it. Well, I, I would, I would, I would never represent myself if I was in trouble. No, that's that's why there, there, that's why there's the old adage that say, you know, uh, an attorney who represents himself has a fool for a client. No, there, there is, there is no advantage, Paul. I mean, I think thanks for calling. I mean, I guess I don't want to go too deeply into the warped mind of Daryl Brooks, but what I, I think is going on here is he is a psychopath. He is a narcissist. And he wants to be the center of attention for things. And he understands that by by doing 
look, he, he's got to know he's going to get convicted. I, I just, I would think, I mean, he's, he's got to know this. So, I mean, I think what's happening here, and he had really good lawyers. They were public defenders. They were really good lawyers. He, they, they went out of their way because these charges were so serious to find really good trained lawyers who, by all intents and purposes, they were filing the right motions, etc. Daryl Brooks wants his moment in the spotlight. Daryl Brooks enjoys arguing with the judge. He enjoys saying, nobody talks to me this way. This feeds the psychopath's ego. And my only point, so to to answer your question directly, there is absolutely no advantage to this at all, other than the fact that, in my opinion, he's probably got nothing to lose. So this gives him the opportunity to strut and, you know, and in in front of, of the jury and just misbehave and act out in the fashion that he wants. And again, get that that weird sort of attention that I, I think he, he's obviously craving. And I mean, I wouldn't be surprised disappointed, but not surprised. Wouldn't be surprised if at some point in time somebody wants to do a dramatization of this trial, and you know that there's kooks out there that would look at this and might see Daryl Brooks as the victim. And that, here, the, oh, this is just this, this evil system that, you know, it was out to, to crush this guy or, or whatever. And so, I mean, he's clearly playing to that. But to answer your question directly, there is absolutely no advantage to it unless you just feel that, hey, I've got nothing to lose, and I just want the attention. And, yeah, he, he's getting, I guess, his attention. He's getting his 15 minutes, but it's at the cost of all the victims. And, again, this is not a criticism of the judge. It's not a criticism of the prosecution. It's more just like comment on maybe we need to look at how we handle these situations moving forward so the next Daryl Brooks— if there is another one, and unfortunately it probably will be, doesn't get to do the same sort of stuff that this Daryl Brooks is. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Mike Spalding, before you go, we were talking about the, the whole Daryl Brooks case. Yes. I, and and I think a lot of people are just frustrated that he's been able to sort of make a mockery of the system. There, there was one element of this that just because I didn't want to bring people down too much, I, I wasn't going to discuss, but a couple people asked this on the text line. All right. So let us assume that he is convicted because he's guilty as hell. So let's assume that he is, in fact, convicted. The question was, all right, he's indigent, doesn't have any money. He's convicted. Does he have the right to appeal? And do the taxpayers, who pays for, is, the, is he entitled to an attorney on appeal? Now, do you know the answer to those questions? I do not. I'll defer to the expert here on this Well, one. this is, and I apologize for those of you who've just kind of like finished your lunch and are trying to like digest this. But yes, to answer your question, a criminal defendant, that would be Daryl Brooks, has a constitutional right to an attorney at both the circuit and the appellate court level. And just because he has waived his right to an attorney at the circuit court level does not mean that he is not entitled to an attorney at the appellate court level. So once he is convicted, if he is determined to be indigent, that means unable to afford an an attorney, he will be appointed an attorney to represent him on appeal by the state public defender's office, which means— that all those of us who pay taxes in the state of Wisconsin will be paying an attorney to defend Daryl Brooks 
on appeal. And of course, one of the arguments that I guarantee you, just like Night Follows Day that's going to be made, is that you know that it, he was prejudiced during the trial because he should never have been allowed to represent himself in the first place. But yes, the taxpayers will be paying for the appellate counsel. How do you like them apples? It always comes back to us, Jeff. It always comes back to us. <laughs> I, I just, that's, that's, I, I didn't want to add that, that little touch in there. But yes, that, that will be the ultimate irony that he will be convicted, and then he will be entitled to taxpayer-paid-for appellate representation to look at the shenanigans that went on in the trial and undoubtedly raise a number of issues claiming he was prejudiced because he did, prejudiced in the trial because he chose to represent himself. And yes, we, the taxpayers, will be paying for that. You cannot make this up. Jeff, what would be the reason someone would grant an appeal? Well, again, I'm not saying he's going to succeed on appeal, but you have a constitutional right to appeal, and you have a constitutional right, if you are indigent, to have the taxpayers pick up the tab for your appeal. So I'm not saying it's going to go anywhere, but there will be an, an appeal, and the taxpayers will pick up the tab for this. You you cannot you cannot make this up. And I mean, I look, and I, I understand the, the reason you have this, because, okay, we're, we're, we're going to incarcerate somebody for the rest of their lives, and you want to make sure their rights are protected. But um, I'm not sure the Founding Fathers, when they set up the system, really had somebody like Daryl Brooks in mind. But yes, to answer the question that many of you were asking, if and when he is convicted, he will he will be entitled to have an appellate attorney paid for by the taxpayers. It's a heck of a world. All right. Do you wonder why or how some of the, I don't know, negative stories about candidates find their way into the, the news, whether it's TV or whether it's the newspapers or radio, I guess, for that matter, for whatever you want, or the Internet? Well, what happens here is there, there are occasions where you, you have some enterprising reporter or something who starts figuring, hey, there, there's something really funny about this campaign or that campaign, and I'm going to investigate this. That, that does happen, but that's not how it happens 95% of the time. Most of the time, what happens is you have an operative from the other campaign who will call up a journalist, a reporter, a TV uh, whatever, who they think is is friendly to them, and they will feed them the story. And they will hope that that reporter then runs with the story. And then, then it, it becomes this incestuous thing, because then once you've convinced a reporter to run with the story— then what happens is then then you turn it around and then you run a, a negative ad citing the, the report that was on TV, for example, and, you know, make it look like, oh, the TV found this, when it was just really, you know, the, the negative ad originated in the opponent's campaign. I, I, I believe an example of this, and I, I don't know for certain, but it has all the hallmarks of it, and if Channel 58 wants to deny it, that, that's, that's fine, and I'll, I'll accept that, but I don't think they will. Uh, you had the story a month or so ago that was shopped around, and as far as I could tell, it was only 58 that picked it up, about Tim Michaels and the, the Michaels Corporation. They've been sued by like like five people over the course of 20-some years for sexual harassment, et cetera, et cetera. Now, first of all, just let's, let's back up for a minute. 
The Michaels Corporation is, I think it's a worldwide corporation, but certainly a corporation in the United States. They employ over 8,000 people in all different states. And I will just tell you honestly that, you know, over 22 years, if you have five complaints, and this isn't even saying that they're all valid, because that, that's, the, that's the truth. What happens, I, I don't take any position on individual complaints, but what happens a lot of times is if employees get in trouble or whatever, looks like they're going to be disciplined, then, you know, then there's a sexual harassment or there's a harassment claim they're filed. And I'm not saying these don't have merits, but I, I will tell you that five, for many, many companies, five complaints, that, that's, that's a Monday. That, that's what happens. The Michaels Corporation, if it's really only only had five complaints over the course of 20-some years, that's a remarkable record. It just really is. And um, it, it's also—so what happens is, I believe what happens is some opposition people, they shop this story around, they found Channel 58, who ran with it, and if 58 wants to come on and say, no, 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 we did this investigation on our own, all right, I'll, I'll ask some questions about that. So then it turns into the, these ads that are out there, you know, trying to trash Tim Michaels. Oh, do you want somebody that's this radical to be the governor? He, he worked at a company that endorsed, you know, sexual harassment without any sort of context at all. And what is really offensive about this is that the Michaels Corporation is is, is a great corporate citizen. Now, in f- disclosure, my wife's niece and, and her husband you know, work for the Michaels Corporation. They talk about what a wonderful company this is. Most of the people, I, I, everybody I know that's worked for Michaels Corporation, people have worked there for years and years. They, they love it. It is a great corporation. And like I say, given the nature of their business and construction sites and stuff like that, you know, five complaints of this nature uh, you know, across the country over 20-some years, that's an amazingly good record. But, of course, you know, this is Tony Evers, and this is the anti-Michaels people, and so you, you don't care if you trash a great Wisconsin company because you're, you're trying to make your political points. But my, my point is, you know, I think where this comes from, and a lot of these stories come from, all right, you, you try to find some some reporter that's going to be the vessel that, the, that you know, you can sell the story to, sell in you know, quotation marks, and, and then they put it out there, and then you use this as the basis for your ads. And, and you get some really, really grossly unfair stuff. And my point has always been that just because you've got somebody that's trying to spin a story to you doesn't mean you always have to run with that story. You know, sometimes maybe you should use some discretion, and I'm willing to be checked, but I don't think, for example, I don't think too many reputable news outlets, you know, picked up that that, that story of, gee, there, there's five people over 20-some years that have claimed harassment. I, I don't think many rep- rep- reputable news outlets, you know, ended up going with that, at least not as the lead story. But but this is how these stories arise, which brings me, and, and by the way, maybe we'll talk about it today, maybe we'll talk about it a little bit later on. One of the things that is developing, and I understand some of you are going to like to hear this and some of you aren't going to like to hear this, but the, the, the operative term right now is Red October and Red Wave. And whether it's the you know New York Times, which is pretty much the liberal house organ in this country, they're running stories about how I mean they're starting to look at the polls, and I understand people are skeptical of polls, but it's it's looking like even Democrats that they thought were safe are now in trouble as 
Um, voters are starting to look at what's going on in the economy and how unpopular Joe Biden is and things like that. So it's looking more and more like you are going to see a traditional midterm sort of thing and and a red wave. Now, is that enough to retake the Senate? I don't know. I think pretty much people think that the the House is going to be you know retaken by the Republicans. But so you, you have more and more stories that are, are being peddled that are, are I guess— I would describe as as increasingly desperate. Now, I don't know if this was a story that was peddled or not, but it certainly has the the makings of that. The headline is Tim Michaels has dialed up local police over litter, runaway dogs, sleeping wife, and a boat mishap. We will discuss this story in just a moment. Okay, so here's the headline. Tim Michaels has dialed up local police over litter, runaway dogs, sleeping wife, and a boat mishap. Michaels lives in the village of Shaniqua. Shaniqua is a very small community in Lake Country, um, a few hundred people. And it's also an extremely wealthy community. They have a little police department there that is funded by the people who live there. And it is a community where... All right, because you, you have people that are wealthy and they can pay for it, there is a certain you know expectation from the police department that the people end up funding, right? Um, just like in the, in the city of Milwaukee where your, your car is stolen and the police may or may not be able to show up and they might just tell you, okay, like, like phone in a report. Well, you, you don't, that's not what you get in Shaniqua. But that's, again, that's the way it is in Shaniqua. There is an expectation of a certain degree of police response. All right, so here is the story. Tim Michael sometimes seems to treat the village of Shaniqua Police Department as if it were his own. Consider a couple of examples. In February of 2018, Michaels couldn't reach his wife at their Waukesha County Lake Country home on State Highway 83 for three hours, so he called the local police to do a wellness check on her. Turns out she was sleeping. Everything was in order, states the police report. So he con- he. Tries to call his wife, can't get a hold of her, can't get a hold of her, so he asks for a wellness check. That's in the newspaper. That, that, that's an issue. One time in 2016, Michaels was hitting golf balls at his multi-million dollar Shaniqua home. See that, and again, you got to understand, the Journal Sentinel is, is in bed for Evers, and they're in bed with Mandela Barnes, so he's hitting golf balls at his multi-million dollar Shaniqua home like he should feel guilty for being successful and having a home. When he spotted an SUV tow away his 16-foot Zodiac boat from the driveway, he copied down the plate number of the SUV and called the local police department. All right, somebody's taken this. Um, policemen interviewed him, another dispatch to chase down the owner of the SUV who confessed he had taken the boat. He said, okay, yeah, we had taken it. Um, Michael's wife, who was out of the country, had made arrangements to, you know, um, have, have this work done, and she had neglected to tell him. So he doesn't know. He sees somebody, what he thinks, stealing his boat. So he, he calls the cops to investigate. All right, I, I'm, I'm trying to see... Dan Bice, what the problem is, is, is with this. Okay, maybe you should say his wife had communicated better, but all right, he's like, hey, I see somebody towing this boat out of my place. What, what's going on here? And then the, the police said it confirmed that there was some miscommunication. Um, okay, then there are other cases. They've been there for 20 years. He said there were more than a dozen times when police responded um, to this, and 
They have, like on five occasions between 2009 and 2021, Michaels or his wife called the police or the police called them about their, their dogs. He reported that his puppy had fallen through the ice. Called the police. I don't know. If, if my dog, Sasha, had fallen through the ice, I, I guarantee you that, first of all, I'm going to be trying to pull her out, but secondly, I'm probably going to be calling authorities to see if they can help me get the dog out before she drowns. But, but this is now an issue. Two years later, um, the co-owner of the Brownsville-based Michaels Construction was contacted by police when his two golden retrievers were found along Highway 83. Michaels had the housekeeper pick him up. Okay, the family was encouraged by the police to get updated tags for the dogs. It goes on and on like this. The Journal Sentinel is running a page after page after page story about the fact that on a relative handful of occasions over 20 years, Tim Michaels has called the village of Shaniqua Police Department for, gee, he was worried his wife might be dead. He calls him and asks him to do a wellness check. Oh, that's terrible. Gee, you know, the dog falls through the ice. He calls them to help them with the dog. Gee, somebody's towing a boat out of his driveway, and it turns out to be miscommunication, but, but he thinks the thing is being stolen. This this is now what the Evers campaign, the anti-Michael forces, and their allies in the media, this is the stuff you've got? Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, really, I understand that it's the silly season, and I understand that this is the time where, okay, you know, people are going to be peddling stories, but either this is a case where— Maybe the person who, who wrote the story should have just said to whoever it was that was trying to peddle the story, you know, this, this is really beneath me to write this stuff. Or if they came up with this idea on their own, maybe some editor should have said, really, this is what we're going to be talking about? 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. So he called the cops to do a, welfare, a wellness check on, on his wife, who he couldn't get a hold of. He called the cops to help rescue a dog that had fallen through the ice. All right, the couple of his dogs had gotten loose a couple times, and the cops had to respond to that. This is the type of stuff which it has come to. My head is ready to explode. 855-616-1620, that is the WTMJ talk and text line. Really, it's come to this. What do you think? We discuss in a moment. I'm a fool to do your dirty work. Very good. Yeah, okay. So Dan Bites, who's the, the, the muckraker for the Journal Sentinel. And I, I, Dan, obviously, I, I hope somebody fed him this story because if he came up with it on his own, he, he really, I mean, he's really kind of going over the bend. So the headline is Tim Michaels. And by the way, the momentum in the governor's race, it, it, people are talking, the phrase that you're hearing more and more is, it's red October and a red wave in November. And it's, I think, more and more Democrats are looking like they're going to lose. Now, I don't know. Still a lot can happen in two and a half weeks. But right now, all the momentum is on the side of the Republicans. That has people getting increasingly more desperate. And you have some of these so-called journalists who are completely in bed. And some, you know, you, you, you look at what the Journal Sentinel has been doing to Ron Johnson. And I think they're frustrated that they write editors. Ron Johnson's not fit to be the senator. And he, his numbers keep going up in the polls. But anyhow, the story today. Tim Michaels has dialed up local police over litter, runaway dogs, sleeping wife, and a boat mishap. Tim Michaels lives in Shaniqua. Shaniqua is a village in Waukesha County. It's on it's on Pine Lake and part of North Lake. It's it's in Lake Country. It is a village of 590 people. It has its own police department. These are big 
houses. The people that live in Shaniqua are very wealthy. They have their own police department, and there is a certain level of, of service that I think that, that they expect. But also, you, you don't have, thankfully, major crime in, in Shaniqua. I think people in Milwaukee would love to have you know the, the ability to have the type of service that, that you get in Shaniqua. So the story, and honest to God, the Journal Sentinel is running this. And again, I, I hope somebody fed it to Bice, because if he came up with it on his own, he, he really needs to work on on his, his, his journalism stuff. And his idea of significance is over the last 10 years, okay— he he called his he called the police for a wellness check because he was somewhere he couldn't get a hold of his wife he was concerned so he calls up the police and say can you do a wellness check well it turns out she was napping good no no problem he he called the police because they had kids that were like littering dumping stuff on his front yard oh that's terrible he he's home one time and he sees somebody just steal, what he thinks is stealing his boat out of his driveway well it turns out that his wife who was in London had made arrangements to have work done on the boat and hadn't told him that but he. He doesn't know it, so he calls the cops. Oh, this is terrible. Had another situation where his dog falls through the ice. So while he's trying to rescue the dog, which he ultimately does, they call the police. I, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, if my dog fell through the ice, I'm calling 911, and I'm also doing everything. I, I guess I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, this this is what you got? Two weeks before the election, this is the October surprise that, gee, he, he called the, the police to help out in these situations. 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. And it's just absolutely unbelievable that not only can, like, the Evers campaign push this stuff, but that you have, like, newspapers that will run it. Jeff, this is what people in small towns do. My mother-in-law lived in a small town. One Sunday, she needed some cash, so she called the bank president, who met her at the bank and gave her a couple hundred dollars. Everyone calls the police for what city people think are minor problems. Um, Jeff, with all the struggles the newspaper industry has to navigate these days, stories like this are going to be the final nail in the coffin to put them out of business. Well, I don't know. I don't wish people bad, but my goodness. I mean, this this is the issue. Jeff, you know they have to be running scared if this is what they have. Um, Jeff, maybe the local newspaper should worry about the lack of people contacting the police over, well, I don't know, maybe a 12-year-old girl getting gunned down in front of her mother instead of a 20-year history of Tim Michaels' legit dealings with local police over legal issues. Jeff, the first thing police departments tell you is that if you see something, say something. If I would see someone taking my boat, I would call the police before I would confront them, because in today's world, you don't know if people would be armed. Also, I can't count how many times I've seen a video on YouTube of animals being rescued by police and fire departments. Well, yeah, that's I guess that that's sort of the situation that I'm in. Jeff, my sons called the vilest sheriff to do a wellness check on me. No one else took exception <laughs> as the same could be done for them if if necessary. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, you, you've got these different issues. Jeff, this is simply ridiculous. You know, they, they say they're journalists, and this is what they can come up with, is a couple calls to the police, which is funded by the people that live there, and I'm sure pay exorbitant taxes. I can only imagine what the property tax is in <laughs> that you're paying in Shaniqua. But again, that, that's part of the expectation. If you live, if you live in River Hills, 
for example, the village of River Hills, where you know a lot of the people that live there, including several of my friends, have big houses and stuff. There is a certain expectation from the police, and it, and you know it, the unfortunate thing isn't that they have an expectation. If you live in River Hills, it's the fact that people who live in, for example, Milwaukee, um, you know, don't get that same thing. I guess I'll never run for office. I called the police about a strange vehicle in my driveway. Yep, you got that element there. Um, Jeff, you are obviously in bed with Michaels. <laughs> well, I, I, well, I don't know what to say to that other than this is a stupid story, period. You know, Jeff, people were trying to call Evers when Kenosha was burning, but he couldn't be bothered. Um, Jeff, Shaniqua um, residents get their driveways plowed after two inches of snow. The residents pay extremely high taxes and they have a high level of service. Um, you know, that's I guess my point is that's kind of what the expectation of this you know, is on these different types of things. Jeff, I'm guessing that the intent of the story is to arouse jealousy in poor voters in contrast with Michael's affluence and community perks with their Milwaukee lifestyle. Now, that that could be as well, which is why you write the story like um, Tim Michaels, a Republican running against Democratic Governor Tony Evers last month, was hitting golf balls at his multi-million dollar Shaniqua home. Well, that's that's it. Let's he's got this multi-million dollar Shaniqua home. So what we have to do is, you know, we 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 have to point out, well, he's got a multi-million dollar home, so he's rich, so he's not like us. Then that that's the way you you work that subtle bias into it. Jeff, I work as an officer in a community adjacent to Shaniqua. Even in my community, if somebody calls me, I need some and need some personal more and needs more personal service, um, they will get it. They pay for it and they deserve it. Yeah, that's <laughs> that that's exactly that. Jeff, my mom called the Wauwatosa police and asked them to check on me after my dad died. I had just left my cell phone in the other room. I didn't see her texts and calls. I understood why. I didn't fault anyone for it. Well, that that's exactly it. I mean, I I mean, look, I don't know, for example, this instance where he called for the welfare check, I don't know where Tim Michaels was. I, I don't know if he was out of town or whatever. But yeah, you you're you're trying to get a hold of your wife. You can't. It's hours that go by. And so, yeah, you, you call and you say, hey, can you do a wellness check? And and thankfully, it turns out that there's nothing wrong. But now this is the issue that the Journal Sentinel is going to make a story of it. If you're going to run for office and you've ever called to have a welfare check, say, on your spouse, <clears throat> it's, it, it's just the world is the world is just absolutely going crazy. Now, again, I, I understand that there's issues that you can raise and, you know, and there's all sorts of policy differences between Michaels and Evers, but here is the reality. The momentum right now is with the Michaels campaign. That's just the fact. And at least I believe that to be the fact. And so now you're going to start seeing increasingly more stupid stories, and that's what this is. It's a flat-out stupid story. See, people get this. Randy from the Upper Peninsula says, When my nurse wife was overdue returning home from Green Bay, I called the police there to do a welfare check at her apartment. Why Why wouldn't I? Jeff, this is the kind of stuff that happened in Mayberry. Having Andy Griffith around to help out with these things is exactly why people living in Shaniqua pay for their own police force. 
Jeff, holy cow, Shaniqua has eight full-time police officers, two part-time police clerks, and five part-time police officers for 500 people. It's actually, I think, 580, but yeah, what are they up to out there? Well, that's the idea. I mean, this is, it's a well-heeled community. They have their own police department, but this is the type of stuff that's there. Jeff, I actually think a lot of these situations will help Michaels in the elections. It paints him as a caring husband, a caring dog owner, and a concerned homeowner. Can't argue that that makes me want to vote for him, you know, even more. Well, um, Jeff, if the police department and the taxpayers of that community don't have a problem with it, who cares? Well, that would have been an interesting question to perhaps ask, you know, before you run the story. You know, exactly who cares? Jeff, I would guess that the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel didn't interview any of the Shaniqua police officers to know if they are fiercely protective of the village they serve and its residents, no matter who the call to protect come from. That would have been an interesting question. And if it wasn't just here, let's go out and try to raise a cheap shot. It would have been, hey, maybe... You know, maybe I should talk to the police chief in Shaniqua. Maybe I should talk to, I don't know, the village president or whatever and find out, you know, is, is this abnormal? Is there is there an issue that, you know, Tim Michaels called and had a welfare check on his wife when he, he couldn't get in touch with her for a few hours? Or, you know, you had a situation where it turns out a prank, but a bunch of littering things. Is Tim Michaels unusual in making this call? Hey, do you ever get any other calls for people who have, you know, dogs that have gotten loose or whatever? It, and And then what's... What's the deal here? You would have thought that, you know, maybe that would have been a call that you make, but but that's not what this is all about. Let's just, like, kind of take this cheap shot. And again, you, you can vote for Michaels. You can vote for Evers. But this this is just— this is just stupid. There, there's just no other word for it. And I, I wonder— you know, I, I wonder if it's going to be one of these deals. Is this going to be the, the latest oh, like like headline that comes out? Jeff, I worked for a client in Shaniqua and locked my keys in my car. The police officer was there in 10 minutes and had me home in time for my daughter to get on the bus. You know, no, no charge. You know, um, yeah, that, that's the kind of thing. Um, right. Je- Jeff, this just in. Dateline is doing a primetime one-hour special on this various, very serious story. Um, yeah, I, but this is now what it is coming to. Jeff, I think this is an example of the broken windows theory. The city of Milwaukee can't provide a service anything close to Shaniqua with all the nonstop violent crime going on. I think most people would appreciate having that level of service. Well, I would... I would tend to agree with that. But this is now Tim Michaels has dialed up local police over runaway dogs, a sleeping wife. And it was a wellness check, by the way, and a boat mishap. Okay, stop the presses here. Yeah, you've had your hit piece story of the day. You wonder if we're now scraping the bottom of the barrel for stories like this two and a half weeks out. What what are we going to see over the course of the next couple weeks? Stay tuned. And the election cannot come soon enough. Back with more in just a minute. Oh, by the way, as long as we're talking about stories, Mandela Barnes back in the news. I'll share that with you in just a moment. Jeff, how about giving Michaels a bit of credit for having some concern for his wife. The response of the police department aside, he obviously has a heart. Where is that in all of this? If he wants, if he were to have ignored her and something bad had happened, that would be much worse. Come on, people. I'm not planning to vote for him, but let's be reasonable. I agree. It is a stupid story. Yeah, that's, I guess, my larger 
point. You know, it's just like, really? All right. Now, in that vein, the I, I think, and, and I've been raising this point for, for a while. I think, matter of fact, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 I, I sent out a note. I, I think after the elections two weeks from now, two and a half weeks from now, one of the things that a lot of, of Democrats in Wisconsin and national Democrat strategists are going to go back and look at is the decision to essentially coronate Mandela Barnes. Okay, there, there was a primary campaign. You had four candidates. And I, as I was arguing for the longest time, I think Barnes was the weakest of the four candidates. But because he checked off a series of boxes, there, there wasn't – there wasn't the vetting. There wasn't the negative ads. There wasn't any sort of exploration of who Mandela Barnes was and what his record was. And towards the end, there was pressure that was brought on some of the other candidates. Oh, we don't want you to run a negative campaign. Here, you just get out of the way. It doesn't matter that you've been running for a year and a half. Get out of the way, and we're going to all unite behind Mandela Barnes. Well, how has that worked out? Because it's turning out that Mandela Barnes is an absolutely terrible candidate on so many different levels. And my prediction is that as you get closer to the election, you're going to see fewer and fewer Barnes ads because I think some of the national money is probably going to write off the Wisconsin race. They won't admit that publicly and shift the money to some of the other races that are closer, like the one in Pennsylvania, which is now a dead tie. The one in Nevada where um, the Republican, the last poll I saw, showed him ahead by a point. But I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a shifting of money unless there's some dramatic sea change. But, you, you know, you you look through it's almost like how did Mandela Barnes become the Democrat nominee? And there was the story the other day about how, you know, he had decided a couple of years ago, he, he decided to go on, on Russian state television and do all these interviews ripping on the United States and ripping on the Dallas police department and talking about what a racist country this is. And it, it's kind of like, all right, is it is it giving aid and comfort to the enemy? I don't know. But what does it say to you about your judgment that you decide to go on Russian state television and talk about what a terrible place the United States is? All right. Well, that's that's that that's apparently not unique with him because the latest story is well, this is the way it was reported in the Free Beacon. Mandela Barnes, the Democratic Senate candidate in Wisconsin, praised Iran's supreme leader, Ali Khamenei, for supporting Black Lives Matter, said he wanted to be the Dennis Rodman of the Assad regime, and used his Twitter account to defend some of the world's most notorious dictators and repressive regimes. On January 15, 2015, Barnes applauded a Twitter post by Khamenei that slammed the U.S. government over slavery. Um... Barnes liked Khamenei's post on Twitter and responded to the Iranian leader. The first tweet of 2015 is from Khamenei, is hashtag Black Lives Matter. Let that sink in. May this be a most wonderful year for you and yours. You know, for all the ads they run about abortion and stuff, be interesting to ask Mandela Barnes, hey, you know, how do you think women, forget abortion, how do you think women are, are treated in, in Iran, by the way? Just a question. Barnes' social media posts, okay, then it goes on. He wrote several posts opposing any U.S. effort to oust Syrian President Bashar al-Assad in 2013 while the dictator was massacring his own people and using chemical weapons. I'd like to pull a Rodman next. I should have hopped the fence to Syria when I had the chance, wrote Barnes. Um, And it goes on and on and on. 
He talked about how he appeared to criticize the removal of Iraqi dictator Saddam Hussein, writing in 2016 that when you drop cookies, you get crumbs everywhere. Then you got to get a vacuum. And that's what happened when we removed Saddam. It just goes on and on and on. And this is the guy who wants to be the U.S. senator from the state of Wisconsin. It does make you wonder, what, what were people thinking when he wasn't vetted at all? Now, is it possible that he could win? I guess it's possible. But I will tell you, I think this race would have been a lot, lot closer if pretty much any of the other major Democratic candidates had been the ones who were nominated. Just saying. When we come back, It looks good on paper, but is it a reality? I'll explain. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So, Mike Spaulding, um, start of the buck season tonight? Yes, sir. I I have a, a rooting interest in it, but it's also more than that because a couple weeks ago, I was in this place called Las Vegas, Mm -hmm. and you might not know this, but in Las Vegas, if you choose, you can wager on things, you can take your money, and you can bet on stuff to happen. And and if you're correct, they will give you money in return. It's it's an amazing sort of thing. Can I ask you something? Yep. If you you win big, do you have to go to Vegas to cash that ticket? Is it only in... No. No, no, no. All you have to do... Is you you take you take a picture of the ticket so you have proof of that because they're all they're all computer coded yeah. and then what you do is you depending on what casino you there's there's instructions you you send it by registered mail to the casino and they will send you a check back. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. It, Although it, if you win, you're probably going to end up back in Vegas anyway. So. <laughs> well, depending on how depending on how big you win, but yeah, it was. Um, so I, there, I, I made a couple bets. I, I just I, I like to do this just you know for fun for for rooting interest and. I made I made a couple bets that I that I, I made two bets that I feel good about and two that I'm kind of questioning um, because keep in mind I was there I, I was leaving the day the Packers played the the Giants yes okay so that's it so I bet I bet okay it's a hundred dollars so I bet a hundred dollars on the Bucks to win the Eastern Conference Championship I forget how much it pays if they did what the odds were and I bet a hundred dollars on the Bucks to win the the NBA championship good so. Bet. Yeah, I feel pretty good about those. I also, now again, this was before the Packers of the last couple of weeks because I wanted to have like a little bit of a, a rooting interest beyond just the fact that I'm a fan. I also put a hundred bucks on the Packers to win the NFC Championship and a hundred bucks on them to uh, to win the, the Super Bowl. Before you left? Before I left. Yes. Okay, so they were still riding. The odds would be fantastic now. Well, right. You'd that, win that, big. Right. That, well, that's that's exactly right. The odds I got then are probably a lot different than than I got now. It's it's why I always explain to people with the bond market that if you in a rising interest rate, okay, a bond that you buy that's paying three percent interest isn't as desirable moving forward as a bond that's paying five percent interest. And so that's that's kind of what happens. So you you want to go have these with me on the Packer tickets? You know, on the Packer things? Ooh, look. <laughs> See, I, we had to get a new roof on our garage. I just don't have the money right now. <laughs> I, I, I I understand. I'm taking I'm taking the risk. So that's that's it. But again, I'm you know, you you've got the Bucks season, so I will be I will be rooting for the Bucks to go far in the playoffs, not just because, you know, we're the flagship station for them, not just because I'm a fan but also because well there might be at least a few hundred bucks i forget what the odds were honest i don't i have to go back and look at the tickets but if they win the eastern conference you could probably uh, find your way to a finals game depending on how much it pays out 
Well, I guess that could be. <clears throat> that, I guess that, that, that could be. That's one thing you could do with the money. If my wife is listening, she'd be <laughs> saying there's no way he's taking that money and doing that. So but in any event, the buck season starts tonight, and I, I think— um, they got to get past the injuries, you know. You got that's you know it's it's bad news when you're starting the season and you know you got Chris Middleton who's out and is going to be out for a while and Pat Connaughton is out who's going to be out for a while. But as long as you've got Giannis, I think that you're that's kind of my thinking. As long as you've got Giannis, you have a you have a pretty good chance to do well. Speaking of sports, let me kind of back into this this topic. The I want Northridge. Okay, we we all know that Northridge is just it, it's decrepit. It's going to be raised finally. And, you know, essentially everybody in this community has been sort of jerked around for the last 15, 20 years by this outfit that, that bought Northridge. And the, remember, the proposal was we're going, to, we're going to buy Northridge and we're going to turn it into this Asian trademark. And they, they came out and they had all sorts of fancy designs and drawings that were done. And you know, and they never followed through on it. But whenever there was an effort by the city to kind of tear down Northridge or whatever, this group would would parade out the, these fancy drawings that they had, and they then they show them to people. And then the TV stations would go out and they'd find people, and, and they 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 the TV stations would completely guppy on this. They'd say, "Hey, what do you think about these designs? Look at them." And people would say, "Oh, that looks pretty cool." But of course, they were they were never going to happen. The only thing that was was spent was the the money to to do the designs. There was never any sort of underpinning and discussion of, okay, is this really practical? And don't you realize you're going to have to spend millions and millions of dollars just to get Northridge back up to a point where you might even want to start putting shops in there? But we, we never asked those kind of questions. It was just, hey, we've got the designs. Doesn't this look cool? All right. Now, this is not Northridge, but I, I, I'm just I'm having the same sort of experience. Yesterday, with much, 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 much fanfare, there was an announcement that Milwaukee would be getting a, a pro soccer team that would be joining the USL championship for 2025. And this is the USS, USL soccer is kind of like the, the second tier, not minimizing that at all. And this is we're going to get a Milwaukee franchise and Jim Kaczmarek, who I know he's a guy at Capco, been a wonderful community leader, responsible for like the kids to kids Christmas stuff for for years and and years. And he's done other investments in the area as well. You know, he's going to be like one of the owners. And they're announcing that, hey, we've got this we've got this franchise and we're looking at, you know, we're, we're looking at starting in 2025 and, you know, we're looking at doing all this other great stuff and we're going to start hiring people and this will be outstanding and Milwaukee's going to have this team and Marquette's going to be able to play at this field and all these different things. The, the problem, and so I'm, I'm watching this and I'm thinking, oh, that, that's pretty cool. The, the problem, though, is that right now there's not a soccer field. I mean, you will recall a while back, the developers, including Jim Kaczmarek, came out and they said, okay, we want to create this, what we're going to call the Iron District. And it's up just a few blocks from where I'm sitting now on, on like Michigan, think 9th and 10th in, in Michigan. It's where, if you're familiar with this area, the old Ramada Inn was and stuff like that. And, and we're going to level it. And the idea is we're going to build an 8,000-seat soccer stadium that Marquette can use and that this soccer team will use. That's pretty big, but okay. And then we're going to build an entertainment venue that's going to you know, have 3,500, you know, space for 3,500 people and would essentially duplicate the same thing that they're doing down at the, out, at the space of the Bradley Center. And then we're going to build um, some, some subsidized housing 
there as well. And we're going to turn this into this big complex. And they've got these great plans, and the plans look absolutely outstanding. They, they, they just do. The problem is I, I still don't understand how this is going to be financed. Now, the city of Milwaukee is apparently um, through, like, their, their tax incremental financing district. You know, they're, they're willing to pony up, like, $1.8 million in city financing to help build, I mean, some of the, the low, the, the subsidized housing. So they're willing to kick in some money to, to help build the subsidized housing. Okay, that, that's fine. But this is, supposedly, it's a $160 million project. And you've got the soccer field, and you've got this, this independent entertainment venue that's going to be there as well. The, the one thing that, that nobody is asking right now, or at least not many people are asking, is where is the money going to come from to, to do this? Is the soccer field, the soccer stadium, is it going to be completely independently financed? Uh, the, the entertainment venue, is this going to be independently financed? And I, I mean, I, I hate to be skeptical about this, but the truth is, I, I don't see how that that happens. Um, I, it's it's just it's kind of like when you, when you're building big arenas and stuff, they are very very rarely financed with without at least some public help. So the the truth of the matter is, I think if you're going to build the soccer stadium, you're going to build this entertainment venue up there, you're, you're going to need some sort of subsidy from the city of Milwaukee. And, I mean, right now, it, it's not a secret. If you look at, I mean, the city of Milwaukee, whose credit rating has been downgraded, um, both Milwaukee County and the city of Milwaukee are looking at, at huge structural deficits that might require major layoffs of workers in in the the future, and then you've got all the, this issue with again you, you've got the, the pension issues that are out there, I, and and it's not it's not a negative comment. I mean, I I think these drawings look really cool, and and I guess I, I mean I think I think an, an outdoor soccer stadium would be really cool. I I don't understand the need for another entertainment venue, but. We're seeing all this, this coverage, and it's great that you've got a soccer team. I guess my question is, where, where is the money going to, to come from? And if it's private development money, I, I, that, that's great. I mean, I'm, obviously, if you think you can make a go of this and you've got the private money to fund this, I, I think that that's absolutely super, and I think this would be a wonderful addition to that area. My question is, though, if, if you can't make it happen without an influx of public money— a subsidy of some sort, where does this project stand in relation to, I don't know, a, a number of the other projects that, that are out there? And while I think it would be wonderful for the area to have this, right, is this, is this the type of thing that you would spend public money on? 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. I mean, put simply, I guess, given all the other needs, can Milwaukee afford to subsidize, I don't know, a hotel and a soccer stadium and uh, an entertainment venue? 855-616-1620. And, and that's, that's my concern, because I'd like to see somebody just kind of ask that question about, okay, okay these, these plans look great, location looks great, would be wonderful— but, you know, where is the dough going to come from? I mean, I understand 
for the the, the subsidized housing. They, they've gotten a, they've gotten the grant for that. That's going to help support that. But a soccer stadium and, and an entertainment venue and a hotel are a lot different than subsidized housing, aren't they? 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. And this has nothing to do with, do I think a soccer stadium would be great for the area? I, I do. My question is, how can it, if it needs public money, you know, and nobody's talking about that right now, can the city of Milwaukee afford it? We discuss in a moment. See, here's the thing, and I guess it's it's one of the frustrations I have sometimes with with media coverage is just like with Northridge, and I don't think this Iron District project is the Northridge, the Asian trademark, but but people come out and they, they show all these fancy designs and these fancy plans, and oh, this is what we're going to do, and, and nobody asks the follow-up, which is, explain to me exactly how you're going to do this and where is, is the money going to come from. Now, this Iron District project, uh, a hotel, um, subsidized housing, a, a 3,500-person, uh, you know, entertainment venue that, again, is going to duplicate what the Bucks are already going to be doing down at the Bradley Center location, and, and the soccer stadium, 8,000-person soccer stadium. It, it, it all sounds wonderful. It's a $160 million project, and I, I, don't, hear, I don't hear the developers saying, you know, we, we, we're going to come up with $160 million. As a matter of fact, there's very little that's being said about financing. Now, there's this raises, I guess, a couple questions in my my mind, which is, all right, if, obviously, if you if this is going to be privately financed, that that's that that's great. If you think you make money, super, because I do think it's going to be wonderful for the area. But if this isn't going to be public, if this isn't going to be privately financed, and you're going to be going to either Milwaukee County or the city of Milwaukee and asking for money beyond the the that they're already committed to help build the subsidized housing. I I mean, how do you sell that given the financial state of of the city and the county? How do you go to people and you say, hey, we've got this wonderful idea for the soccer stadium. It's going to be great. But, you know, we, we want the taxpayers to help underwrite that. You know, we want the taxpayers to help underwrite another music venue. We want the taxpayers to help underwrite another hotel. I, I'm sorry. I guess I just... I just see this is a non-starter. One of our texters says, "How's that hotel coming on North Avenue?" Right, that was the that was the one that the the Common Council because they wanted it so badly, they decided to, you know to throw you know millions of dollars at the old Sears store that used to be on North Avenue, which was the maybe there's a worse location for like a high-end hotel in the, the area, but I don't know where that worse location would be. And of course, you know, that's been spinning its wheels and it looks like the taxpayers are going to be out, you know, a couple million dollars, you know, on um, that. Jeff, is there going to be an additional sales tax for Miller Park for when that was built? Well, well, no, because that would need the state legislature to sign off on it. And there are some of us who still have the psychic scars from that, that battle over, over Miller Park. And, I, I mean, I just don't see how you're going to sell that if, if you expect the taxpayer involvement. There, there's no way, you know, there, there's no way that you can, you know, end up paying for that. Let's talk to Howard in Mequon. Howard, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. How are you today? Good. What do you think? What do I think? How can they afford a soccer team 
when they can't afford to put more police on the streets, they're closing firehouses, and they can't even keep the school system going properly, and they want to put all this money towards a soccer team? I think it could go to a lot better areas or places. Well, that, I mean, thanks. I mean, see, that's the now. now just so we're clear, that the soccer team is, is privately owned. That's, that's you know, Jim Kaczmarek and partners. But the soccer team needs a place to play, right? And it, it's the stadium that is, is part of this overall project that looks great. I mean, you see these reports, it looks absolutely great. But the overall project is $160 million. And so far, there hasn't been—and nobody's even asking these questions. I mean, it, to the extent it comes up, it's buried deep in these stories. Well, financing is still a little bit up in the air. See, this would be my first question, which is before we get too far down th- this route and before we get too excited about this, I- explain to me where the money is going to come from. How are you going to build this, this development? How are you going to pay for the hotel? How are you going to pay for the soccer stadium? How are you going to pay for a 3,500-seat entertainment venue? And do you expect there to be a public contribution to this? And if there is a public contribution, how how large do you expect this to be? Now, keep in mind, we're already dealing with the expansion of the convention center, and that's going to be paid for by, I guess, you know, increased taxes and stuff and rental car taxes and hotel taxes and things like that. So, you know, you, you've got that money that's being spent. You've got the the Bucks that are developing their own entertainment center on the site of the Bradley Center, but that's all used with private money. That That's going to be private money that's there, and I, I, I mean, I, I think it's it's going to be great. So if it's private money, no problem, no issue. I'm just saying before we get too excited about this, and these are quality developers, it's, it's not a question of that, but it would be nice to see the plan. How is it going to be financed? And if you're expecting the taxpayers of Milwaukee County or the state of Wisconsin or the city of Milwaukee, if you're expecting them to pick up some or all of the tab, how much of that tab is going to be and how, where is the money going to come from? And again, how do you justify that decision to spend money on on that development, if it is taxpayer money involved, when we don't have enough police and our credit rating has been cut down and you've got all these capital improvement projects that desperately need to be done. And if that's the case, is this the best use for the limited amount of resources you have? Not taking a position on this. I am saying, though, that's the question that people should be asking before we get all, all excited about, hey, we're going to have this soccer team. Well, it's great that you're going to have a soccer team, but how? where are they going to play? That would be my question. Number of people are texting saying, well, maybe the answer to the soccer stadium is maybe we can figure out a way to run the trolley up to like Ninth in Michigan. No, for the moment at least, e- expansion of the air trolley system, because most of the time when you watch it run, it it, it just carries air, um, that, that I think is on hold. So far, they haven't been able to find any large chunks of money to pay for that. But right, this is, we'll, we'll figure out a way to build the soccer stadium. And by the way, I'm not against it. If 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 you've got private developers who think they can make money doing this, I say go with God, do it. On the other hand, if you're expecting public money, then the question is, where is the dough going to come from? And justify that expense given all the other expenses that you have around here. So, Mike, I'm, I'm sort of following on, on Twitter and some of these other feeds, the Daryl Brooks trial. Mm-hmm. So here, here's one. Daryl Brooks calls Nicholas Kirby to the stand. I don't know who Nicholas Kirby is, but Daryl Brooks calls Nicholas Kirby to the stand. Kirby makes reference to Brooks. Brooks asks, who is Brooks? <laughs> Kirby says, that would be you. <laughs> you know? I, I don't know what you say with this. It's 
it uh, 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 his first witness is a friend of a friend of Brooks's girlfriend who he was accused in Milwaukee County of running over with the vehicle. So that's how they are connected. I don't know what the point is. This guy does not, this witness does not seem to be sympathetic to Daryl Brooks no. in what, in, in any form or fashion. So I'm, I don't know where he's going to go with this. Well, that, <laughs> because there's, there's no real, right. Some, I was with you and that's why we like it. it, it it's yeah. not. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, okay. So I'm calling you, you know, you, you, you know, who are you calling Brooks? I'm calling you. Yeah. That Brooks. was a weird exchange. That was, that was an odd exchange, but it, it's been, it's just been an odd trial. There's no question about it. And, and it will wind down soon. And then again, as we were talking about earlier for people who have tuned in, the, the one, and I understand it's the way the legal system works, but it's kind of salt in the wound when Daryl Brooks is convicted, as he will be, um, and there is an appeal. He is constitutionally entitled to an appeal, and the taxpayers have to pay for the attorney to file the appeal. And you know one of the issues is going to be that he wasn't competent to represent himself. Therefore, the argument will be he should have a new trial. It's just it's just it makes your head explode on so many different levels. Is this one law students will will, will learn about at least maybe here in in Milwaukee if you're going to be at Marquette just because of the uniqueness of it at all? No, because there's nothing. There's no, it, no, no. It, there's just nothing to learn from. It. I mean, it's just it's such an aberration. I mean, this is this is such it's such an aberration. Do you remember Lorencia Benbenek? Yes. Right. Okay. Run, yes. Bambi, run. You know mm-hmm. who was was convicted of killing her ex-husbands? I I actually that trial was going on when I was in law school. And I actually went, now that was an interesting trial because I watched some of it. I, I went down and I, I actually watched some of it. And there, Lorenzo Bambanic passed away a number of years ago. And it was, but it was, it all, it, she, it caught the attention of the public because she was a former Playboy Bunny, mm-hmm. who was a former police officer, and it was all that stuff. But I actually watched some of that trial. And I, the, the thing I always said to people is I, I watched her testify, and I don't know if she killed, what was the woman's name, Christine Schultz. I don't know if she did that. I do know, at least in my opinion, she was lying when she was testifying on the stand. That's, and and that, that's the way I've always presented it. And it, my experience has always been, if you get on the witness stand and the jury thinks you're lying, you're in trouble. And, and again, I, I've always, that's how I, I've wrestled with, because I've always read all the stuff that said, oh, she didn't do it, all that kind of stuff. It was somebody else. And I, I just, I mean, I watched her testify and... I just didn't think she was telling the truth, which isn't to say she murdered the person. It was just like, if you get on the witness stand and you're not telling the truth, you're in trouble. Daryl Brooks, I, I think <laughs> it's it, it's not a question of one witness or another. Hey, when we come back, is this the answer or is it an unanswer to reckless driving? I will explain. We will discuss. We all know that reckless driving is a huge problem, in, particularly in southeastern Wisconsin. In Chicago, they have like 500. Uh, they have, well, let me see. I want to get the numbers exactly right here. Um, they have, and they have had for a number of years, they have red light cameras that they have used. They use them in 151 intersections. And what they do is they track cars that are speeding either more either six plus miles an hour over the limit or running a red light going through the, these intersections and the fines are like thirty five hundred thirty five bucks to a hundred bucks. What they have said is that in these intersections where we put the red light cameras up, we have noticed a fifty seven percent reduction in crashes. 
That, that's what the statistics say for, for the intersections that have these red light cameras. In Wisconsin, state law does not allow you to have red light cameras. So a number of legislators, some Republicans, some Democrats, are saying, okay, maybe what we need to do is, is we need to look at the idea of installing red light cameras. There's one bill floating around which would, in for the city of Milwaukee, would allow up to five red light cameras in every aldermanic district. So there wouldn't be more than 75 citywide. What they would say is, here's how we'd set them up. If you're caught violating you know, the, the rules, you could get a ticket between $40 and $100. And they would send tickets out if you were caught either running a red light or speeding at least 20 miles an hour over the limit. Now, in Chicago, they do it at six miles an hour over the limit. My argument there is... It's not just public safety. It's there to generate revenue. But here in Milwaukee, it would be if you're caught in one of these no more than 75 intersections, you obviously pick the most problematic intersections, and you say, all right, we're going to make it known that these are red light camera things, and if you're over 20 miles an hour over the speed limit or you run the red light, you get the ticket in the mail. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. Now, I want to say at the beginning, I'm— we need more cops on the street. And I mean, I think that is the starting point. I, I, I'd love to hire another hundred police officers, put them on traffic patrol and, and have them be aggressive out there. And maybe we can get to that point at some point in time. All right. But we're not there now. So my question is, while we're trying to figure out how to get more cops on the street, is there a problem with red light cameras? And, you know, let's say you don't need to put them at every intersection, but you pick you know, you pick, in this case, it would be, you know, up to 75 intersections throughout the city of Milwaukee, where maybe the ones where you have the highest crash rate and things like that, you put these cameras up there and you use them as a way to identify reckless driving and speeders. Now, I understand that in, in many cases, the people that are running the red lights are driving stolen cars or they have no intention of paying a ticket, even if you get it. So I, I understand that it's not a silver bullet. I understand it's not perfect, but in Chicago, they have the same problem, and they say, hey, when we put up these cameras, we notice that, you know, the, the number of crashes have been reduced by 57%. So even though it's not perfect, I guess I don't understand the reason why we wouldn't try something like this. I don't understand what the downside is even though I acknowledge it's not going to stop all reckless driving. It might deter some, and the experience in Chicago would tend to prove that. 855-616-1620, red light cameras in Milwaukee. What do you think? Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the acunate of the, it's the WTMJ talk and text line. So... I raise this question because a lot of us are frustrated with the, the carnage that goes on on the roadways around here. The the and, and there's no one good answer to this. There, there's just not. But the problem is that we are in a situation where we need to try all sorts of different things that that might you know make a difference. And there, there's no really good answer. One of the things that's that's around as a concept is the whole idea of red light cameras. In the state of Wisconsin, you're not allowed to do that. In Chicago, they do it. 
I think they do it unnecessarily restrictively because they, they give you a ticket if you're going six miles an hour or more over the limit. I don't think that's right. But at the same time, that doesn't mean there, there's not a role for red light cameras. And one of the things they're looking at in Milwaukee is 20 miles an hour over the limit or running a red light. And we put them in 75 intersections. I guess, do I think it's it's a perfect solution? The answer is no, it, it's not. I understand that a lot of the cars that are doing this are stolen cars or they're being driven by people that don't have licenses and the cars are unregistered and it's not going to be perfect. But in Chicago, they've got the same sort of problems. And what they found is at the intersections where they put up these cameras, they've had a 57% reduction in crashes. Well, that tells me that there's at least some deterrent there. Jeff, the problem with the red light cameras is who is actually running them and making a profit off them, the city or a private entity operating the cameras on behalf of the city. Well, and, and that's I think that's that's fair. My understanding is the proposals this would have to be run, you know, by <clears throat> the city. But but why not? You know, why not try this? Kelly says, look, anything we can do to prevent the speeding situation is a good thing. And I guess I think we're now at this point where there's nothing that we shouldn't try. You know, one of the things that's been kicked around is like redesigning some streets to make it more difficult for people to speed. I guess I look at that and say, look, that's not going to stop the, the whole problem. And, and I agree that the most fundamental thing is you need more cops and you need aggressive enforcement. The cops have to catch the people. They have to arrest them. Then they send them over, for example, to the district attorney's office. The DA's office has to prosecute them. And the judges have to be willing to put them in jail. So I, I understand that that's the, the ultimate goal. And that's where we get to, ultimately, is getting the bad guys off the streets. And everything else is kind of cosmetic. But at the same time, doesn't it, it, putting up red light cameras is not expensive. And it's a way that perhaps checks some of this stuff. Jeff, I don't trust any statistics coming out of Chicago. Well, you know, that's, that's I, I think, it's pretty clear that those are the things that are out there that do make stuff better. Jeff, I think the Beltline in Madison needs speed cameras. Red light cameras, I think that they're a great idea. See, I think the majority of people are there. That I, I just, I've really tried to, to work my way through this. And I know that, for example, there's some of my friends who are conservatives who are opposed to this. And I just I don't hear the strong argument against it. I don't get the why people would think that this is a bad idea. I hear the people who argue, well, it's not necessarily going to stop the whole problem. And I I agree with that. I don't argue that it's not going to stop the whole problem, but it's a first step. And maybe it's a baby step. But my gosh, when it comes to reckless driving, I think, you know, anything will help. Hey, one quick thing before we turn it over to Wisconsin's Afternoon News. We talked about this this yesterday, and it's starting to get more and more attention. Joe Biden, who has, in my opinion, made a complete and total debacle of U.S. energy policy and this declaring war on fossil fuels and stuff, and then wondering why oil companies aren't refining as much or producing as much. You know, Joe Biden's latest attempt to try to quote-unquote, buy votes before the midterm election is to reduce, is to release more oil from our strategic reserve, which is already down to 400 million barrels. The strategic reserve is designed to help the country in times of emergency, the Gulf War, 
Hurricane Katrina, those sort of things. Biden has been using it to try to artificially reduce the prices at the pump. And so he's looking at reducing another, releasing another 15 million gallons and saying he's going to release more because he's hoping to temporarily drive down the price of gas. It's not going over very well because most people are seeing this as what it is, an effort not to really improve anything for us long term, but rather just a way to let's try to reduce gas prices 20 cents a gallon for a couple weeks and hope people forget what's going on for the election during the election. Here's the bottom line of all this. We need a long term sustainable energy policy, which encourages domestic production of oil, not these sort of tricks to, you know, again, try to buy votes short term, like the student loan things and like many of the stimulus payments. You know, here, let's just give people money and we'll worry about what happens later. Well, we've seen what happens when you do that. You have inflation that's out of control. If you want to bring gas prices down, you have to stop declaring war on oil producers. You've got to drill. You've got to allow things like the Keystone Pipeline to be built. And until you do that, you're not going to get any sort of sustained reduction of gas prices. And If you start releasing stuff from the strategic reserve, all you're doing is making us weaker moving forward. 